0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Weather or Not, sponsored by TD Bank. I'm WABC Chief Meteorologist Lee Goldberg. In this episode, it's taking the weather forecast to the next level, and I'm really excited to tell you about something that could really be a game changer in the forecast world. Allow me to take you sort of in the weeds of a forecast construction that, that I would do on a daily basis. I would come and I would look at current conditions, and, and that is certainly universal in the forecaster community. You have to look at current conditions. You look at even past conditions to kind of get an idea of where, where you may be going, whether it be satellites and radars. You want to kind of put an idea in your head as to how you, things, how you think things may evolve going forward. That's way before you start looking at any type of numerical computer guidance that may sway you one way or another. It, it's good to formulate that idea early. But of course, we all look at computer guidance and every meteorologist, if you will, kind of has their own personal forecast toolbox, things that they like to look at. I certainly have a unique sequence that I'll go through. And then I know in certain weather situations, I may lean on one bit of computer guidance versus another. But there is a wild card in there and it has to do with pattern recognition. We don't want to be tethered to models and i know you hear that a lot when you're hearing current day meteorology and current forecast well x model is saying this y model is saying this we're going right in the middle i don't love to do it like that because no one model is right and that's where the element of pattern recognition can really be the tiebreaker for instance when i was interning with my mentors it was amazing that they would look at a particular setup on the map and say Yeah, that storm looks like the setup in February 83, so I think my forecast will lean toward that. And I was blown away by looking at analogs and different storms and patterns and having that encyclopedia within them to help them make the forecast. And I think over the years, I have a little bit of that now, but I'm constantly learning. Well, when you talk about the advent of AI now in weather forecasting – I think the foundation for that has a lot to do with pattern recognition and previous data, but let's confirm that. We're gonna introduce now Alex Levy, the CEO of Atmo, and this is incredibly exciting. I'm so glad you can join us. Welcome to Weather or Not.
1: Thank you, yeah, really good to be with you. Your introduction was fantastic because the pattern recognition that you're doing as a meteorologist is precisely what new AI forecasting models are doing on a very, very grand scale considering all of those historical examples, considering how much they trust different data sources, how much they think certain patterns are predictive of future patterns, imagine doing that, but doing that millions or billions of times in a highly automated way that can look back over 40 or 50 years of the world's weather data. That's what's happening now in, in AI for weather. So you're into three years at Atmo, correct? That's correct. Uh,
0: and it's it's amazing the progress that you made. Uh, I was able to view a talk that you gave, and I'd, I'd like our listeners to get a little feel for that. You talked about the weather
1: forecast as this great computation. Can you expand on that? Well, I think a lot of people don't realize just how substantial the computing resources are that go in to predict the weather in these computer models around the world every day. In fact, if you go back to the 1950s, one of the first two uses of the first digital computer ever made, the ENIAC one was ballistic trajectories Mm. for artillery, and the other was to predict the weather. Those were the first two ever of the digital computer. And since that time, these simulations that humanity relies on have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And so to give you a sense of of how big these computations are, in any given 24-hour period around the world, there's something on the order of a trillion metric tons of rain. Mm. There's something on the order of 40,000 thunderstorms. There might be 200 or so new wildfires. There might be 60 or so cyclones. Maybe some proportion of those will graduate into a major event. There might be anywhere from two to five tornadoes somewhere. There's a good 60% chance of a flood somewhere on Earth at any given day, about a 10% chance in any given day of a new heat wave starting. And so this involves vast amounts of, of data. And to give you a sense of how big this is, of the top 100 supercomputers in the world today, about half of those supercomputers are used either part-time or full-time just to predict the weather and climate. Amazing. You're talking on the order of terabytes and terabytes of data an hour, petabytes of data uh, a year. And so predicting the weather might be the single biggest program or calculation that humanity runs anywhere mm. and has been for many, many decades. So
0: this graduation from the numerical model guidance to AI, Can you tell us what the difference is? It's fascinating.
1: You know, the the difference is uh, in a way as simple to explain as the difference between a system that runs on fixed rules and a system that learns from experience. Mm. You know, this world we're in now of machine learning and AI uh, at this scale is still relatively new. And in fact, if you go back just, you know, let's say 12 to 24 months, the number of countries or militaries or big corporations that used AI forecasts day to day was essentially zero. Mm. Today, there are numerous uh, such use cases. So for example, we provide forecasts for the Air Force. We provide it for entire sovereign countries like the Philippines and so forth. But that's actually really, really new. Prior to this change to AI, the way these things were calculated was on a series of fixed rules. So you'd sit down and you'd have physicists and meteorologists write out equations of temperature gradients, uh, pressure transfer, uh, you know, mass conservation, momentum conservation. And from these fixed rules, you would ask the program to take from the current conditions and step it out and step it out and step it out by mm. these fixed rules. But it never had the actual ability to learn from experience, to compare its predictions each moment with what actually happened and to correct itself millions or billions of times. Mm. So what's new in the new system is, the system is learning from 40 or 50 years of the data and really comparing where it's going right and where it's going wrong and issuing these many, many corrections to itself. And in doing that, the new AI forecasts getting more and more and more accurate uh, autonomously. Mm. And that let us raise the accuracy to the equivalent of what would have been 20 or 30 years of conventional progress in a short period of time because of that closed loop learning.
0: So, I mean... I guess I wanna understand in terms of the projections, is there still underlying variables that go into the numerical models? Are those still incorporated into ATMO?
1: Well, you know, in some sense, these simulations do share all the same input data. They're just trying to make better sense of that input data. Okay. So, you know, AI weather forecasting, the classical weather forecasting, look at the same satellites, they look at the same radar stations, the same ground stations, the same buoys, the same balloons. but. They process them in very, very different ways. One way which is based on these sort of hard coded rules that they try to propagate as best they can. One which is based on correlating those observations with future observations from similar data sources. So in that sense, they're very, very different. Now today, sometimes these models are used in conjunction. So Mm -hmm. for example, you know, there's a place for rules. So for example, you know, we know that the amount of uh, let's say temperature, or moisture on the earth can't suddenly change moment to moment. These follow certain laws of conservation and we can reflect those laws as a complement to the AI system. But increasingly, the best forecasts in the world, uh, in terms of performance, in terms of resolution, they're all going to be AI forecasts. In fact, many of them will be pure AI forecasts. Mm. So a lot of the models that we run, including the global model you see behind you, uh, is now actually running pure end-to-end using this learning-based technique. And we've been able to show empirically that its accuracy significantly exceeds all previous numerical models.
0: Okay. So you brought up resolution, and this is what I was thinking with something like this. I I kind of thought about the SpaceX satellite network and how it was trying to fill the gaps with internet globally. Is that kind of something that Atmo can do in terms of, you know, let's say countries, areas of the world, they don't have a national weather service. They don't have the observation network.
1: You can fill the gaps. Definitely, and I think there's a, a a really interesting point as to why that's the case. So, you know, I mentioned this old way of doing forecasting that we've been with for for many many decades, and I mentioned that it takes these really giant supercomputers to do it. But one of the things that comes with that method is that it's very very costly to do. Mm-hmm. So, the classical forecasts that that folks refer to uh, are made sometimes at a cost of many billions of dollars a year per forecast system. Right, and as you can imagine, that's great for uh, a very powerful and wealthy country uh, like us here in the US or a large block like Europe as a whole, but there are many, many countries in the world that have relatively uh, poor forecasts. And part of the reason is uh, they didn't really have a way to afford an on-ramp to a top tier forecast because mm-hmm. you'd have to think, okay, if we're going to do this for country X, we got to build out first a billion dollar supercomputer. One of the amazing things about these AI methods is even though they're considerably more accurate, And even though they've been able to achieve even greater detail, they actually also run much faster. And in in Atmos case, they run about 40,000 times faster currently, which means I can run this on a computer in some other country with some other data sources at maybe a a fraction of the cost. Mm. And that means now many, many countries and uh, other entities have the option to stand up really detailed self-calibrating forecasts based on their information in their country. Uh, that means that in each of those places, they don't have to satisfy themselves with a global forecast that just that happens to cover their country. Okay. They can have forecast just customized for their country that optimizes for accuracy over that plus. And can you can you
0: compare the grid of a typical numerical model to the AI grid? Sure.
1: Well, okay. Why? How do we get to a better grid? We get to a better grid because it runs so much faster. So when you can run faster, you can afford to take more cycles on each place. So one of the reasons that today global models uh, might have a horizontal resolution of, let's say many miles by many miles, sometimes as much as 10 miles on a side, in some cases, 20 miles on a side, really high end stuff over certain parts of the world uh, might get down to a mile on a side in some cases. Uh, But Atmo models, the ones that we're running now, in fact, where I'm coming to you now from San Francisco, uh, this is we, We're running the most detailed uh, city forecast in history here. And here it's 1,000 feet by 1,000 feet by five minute resolution, oh. means we can resolve every individual city block. We can resolve every microclimate behind a hill or in a valley, the whole city. And we can apply that resolution now over whole countries. So when we go to a place like the Philippines, or we do something for the Air Force, or we work on space launches is another area that we do forecasting for, we can really capture every one of those fine details. Um, and that wasn't even possible before numerically. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, all right, let's get to the performance. We have talked so much about the accuracy of it, but you actually have done some studies. I know our viewers have heard about the Euro, the American model. Um, yeah. There's now a national blend of models, which is starting to have some traction, which actually performed quite well on the most recent storm we just dealt with. Uh, yes. But AI is actually outperforming these.
1: Yes, that's correct. And I think the reason for this is very similar to what you mentioned about your own experience. You know, one of the reasons that there are so many human meteorologists and why we value their input a lot is uh, learning from experience to analogous situations, reasoning about what you're looking at uh, has been shown consistently uh, over the years to have the ability to outperform just taking the raw results of mm-hmm. a simulation. And so these models in that sense can do similar things to that, where they can capture those branching trees of, I think we're in this situation, or I think we're in that situation. Um, And that's been a big lift on the accuracy. The other thing that it's able to do is to catch its own errors. So because it's comparing itself to reality each moment, when there is a deviation, Mm. we don't have to wait till weeks or months after the fact to look back and go, oh, we really missed it. For example, on Hurricane Sandy would be a great example in New York doesn't have to be retrospective. It can do real-time calibration. So what does that mean in practice and performance? Well, the classical methods that that this compares to have been improving slowly but surely over many years. And, and typically, they improve in, in accuracy about 1% to 2% a year, which means that their, their level of error shrinks about 1% to 2% a year, and it's done that for about 30 years. In the, in the 18 to 24 months that these AI models have been around, the global models that they provide have improved that accuracy, that error, by as much as 20 to 30% okay, in under which is which is you know 30% you know may not sound like a lot but in the world of meteorology that would sure. be the equivalent to how different it was from the 90s till now or the 80s till now so that's the case for global for regional it's even better when you take these ai models and you say let's just apply it to brazil or let's just apply it to the philippines And we don't have to worry about global accuracy. We're just going to dial it up over that area. And the local uh, patterns there, we can get even higher. We've seen uh, gains up to 40 or 50% reduction there, especially over extreme phenomena, like extreme rains, for instance. So it's, it's a very noticeable jump of accuracy in a short window of time.
0: Have you actually had some examples of AI's performance in a snowstorm across parts of the U.S.?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we we benchmark our model in terms of snowstorms over the U.S., and we've seen uh, that roughly 20 to 30 percent lift on a continent-wide basis so okay. far, which is inclusive of those storms.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We're, just, we're recording this um, after New York City's biggest snowfall of the season, which isn't yep. saying much. We just got a few inches, but we actually got uh, 8 to 12 inches in some of our suburbs. But some of our high-resolution numerical models, within 12 hours, were so erratic that if you bit on those you would have gone two to four inches in areas that got eight to 12 inches of snow which is scary that was a a very stressful night but again that was where pattern recognition and staying the course uh that meant everything so i was just wondering you know have you seen certain biases with ATMO, or how has that evolved
1: definitely definitely like let me give an example in in the bay area and we may even uh be able to, to share with you some some images of this as well okay One of the things to know is that uh, these very detailed and uh, unique phenomena to each geography can actually make a huge difference. One of the problems with the existing models is they treat a lot of big areas in a very general way. Essentially, you get the average picture over sometimes a very large area, in essence, in in the way that they work. In San Francisco, it's a perfect example because anybody who lives here knows that you can have one part of the city which is in beautiful California, you know, classic type weather, and you can have another part which is stuck in fog, 10 degrees cooler, raining, and mm-hmm. this is actually the same, the same city. A- another example relates to, to wind, for, for instance. If you take an average picture of wind across the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, you'll get some value that's a moderate, sometimes moderate high value. That doesn't capture the picture. It's a very hilly location. There's gaps like the gaps where the Golden Gate Bridge goes across, and the acceleration from the base wind to these high intensity winds can sometimes be as much as four or five times as much, but just in that zone, and that's true across the board for a lot of different uh, phenomena that we see out there. So that's an example in the U.S. context. In in the global context, uh, we've seen Atmo perform significantly better for things uh, like high intensity rain in uh, the Asia Pacific area, mm. where one of the predominant issues uh, is sudden, unexpected flooding. And that's been a major failure of a lot of these models to capture these sudden extremes. So we've seen these gains and they're coming from a combination essentially of both pattern recognition and increasing the detail. And by increasing the detail, you're starting to finally capture what it's really like uh, in each you know, square mile of territory, m- much better than you would when you're treating it in the general way.
0: Hmm. That's interesting because you made me think about it. I'm thinking with that type of resolution you probably get a different forecast at Fisherman's Wharf than you do in Chinatown. I mean,
1: it merely just be able to carve that I, up. Not only just neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, we get it city block by city block in many of the places that we operate. And so actually, what, what's wonderful, I'm, I'm, I'm looking out the window here at Twin Peaks. I can okay. see Sutro. And, uh, you know, the Atmo forecast at the resolution that we run uh, easily can show the difference between being on one side of the hill versus the back side of the hill, wow. which is a completely different picture. it fog, wind, average temperature, and so forth. So that's the kind of thing that you can expect with these new models. And progressively, I hope that you know that we'll be able to roll these out to more and more cities. Uh, we've even, in fact, uh, for your New York-oriented uh, uh, viewers and listeners, uh, we've even considered bringing uh, our San Francisco supercast uh, technology and bring it to the New York area. And so maybe even we'll do that with you and we can put it on on your program. Well, count me in. I mean, you know know our area. I mean, we have the eastern end of Long Island
0: up to the hills of northwest New Jersey. Um, You know, we head up to the Catskills and Poconos. We go down to the Jersey Shore. And then, of course, the microclimate of just the five boroughs in general. Our studio is on the Upper West Side, which never is represented with what's going on in the area. It seems like it's a little like sheltered area. So yeah, it seems like it'd be an incredible tool. And because of this resolution, you've had a lot of success in the military.
1: That's correct, yeah. In fact, you know, today the military are actually the single biggest user of the ATMO forecasting products. Uh, you know, in a way, looking at it, this is uh, not surprising. Uh, but it came as a great surprise to us. You know, When we started out, you know, a lot of people think of forecasting, of course, in, in your, the day-to-day context of your life. You want to know what the weather is. You want to be aware of major risks. But all the things that apply to everyday individuals are heightened in the context of a military because of the level of danger and precision uh, in the types of operations that are out there. And so what we have found is there's a wide range of uh, folks in national security that want to have very detailed, much more accurate forecasts when they're operating things like aircraft, drones, when they're moving people around, and then what's visible, what's not visible, where's the fog, where isn't it, how is it gonna change? There's a lot of different operations out there that are critically critically weather dependent. Um, And that's why I think they've adopted ATMO as quickly as they have, because they have that urgent weather need. And we're even doing this as well, partly in a military context and partly in a space context. So uh, ATMO uh, is even, a, a uh, the new AI forecaster at Cape Canaveral mm-hmm. in Florida. instance. So folks that have the highest end weather needs are actually adopting AI forecasting much faster than the general population because of how high the warnings are.
0: Okay, all right. Before I left you go, I have to, of course, ask the question, which is the elephant in the room? I mean, listen, AI is polarizing. You make yes. it way less scary when you talk about it. Some embrace it, some fear it. And someone like me is sitting in the room and say, okay, you know, is... Is my job obsolete? Will other jobs be obsolete because of AI? Or is that collaboration still going to be critical?
1: Well, you're absolutely right that in general, uh, this transition we've all seen to AI in recent years comes with a a lot of concerns uh, for a lot of uh, uh, particularly jobs out there, jobs in creative professions and professions that deal with a lot of text, for example, Mm -hmm. or making imagery and videos. A lot of folks are really sweating that. Um, And so you want to find applications of AI where you say, hey, this is unambiguously good. I would argue that, that what's happening at AI weather is almost as close to that as you can get. The reason being, we're at a time where we're seeing increasing weather extremes around the world. And people need better and better tools to deal with this. There's no shortage of phenomena for meteorologists such as yourself to have to track, explain, and help people understand and take decisions in their life. So the need for that has never been higher. But also, it's showing that folks that do what you do, uh, generally speaking, would be better equipped mm. if they had to let them make more precise predictions, predictions they could rely on more when they do the analysis and communication they do. So this is a case where I would expect that there's probably going to be as many or more meteorologists mm. in the future of the world, given what's happening with weather, but they're going to be much better equipped to ask and answer. The questions that we're facing right now. That's what I wanted to hear. Um,
0: let me uh, ask you, what would be the timeline in terms of when I would have something like this to put into my toolbox?
1: Well, I think it's coming pretty fast. Yeah. Um, you know, as I say, you know, some of these uh, Atmo AI forecasts are already in use for entire countries. Um, and they're certainly already in use for certain regions in the United States. And so at the pace that these things are rolling out, I really wouldn't be surprised to see a a New York-based AI forecast sometime over the next year. Mm. And I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see a national-scale forecast for the US with AI that's widely used and available to you maybe inside two years, maybe even a little bit less.
0: All right. Well, we're going to keep in touch. And when you do bring that supercast to New York, you don't have to tell anybody. We can keep it between us and we can have the greatest (laughs) forecast. Alex Levy, seriously, this is just awesome. I know uh, we'll be able to talk again. I, I'm so excited to hear about the progress and congratulations on all the uh, the success you've had with um, with Atmo so far, but I really appreciate you taking all this time on weather or not.
1: Thank you very much. Can't wait to work with you in New York, this.
0: All right, sounds good. Alex Levy from Atmo talking AI weather forecasting. How cool is that? And forecasts are going to get better and better, and it really sounds like a game changer. Well, we're going to work on our forecast in the short term. Given all the tools we have now, make sure you have all of your snow forecasts correct. We have a couple of opportunities coming up in the not-too-distant future. We still like the idea of cold patterns coming in and out through early to mid-March. So winter is not over yet, regardless of what the rodent said on February 2nd. So we'll make sure that we have you covered in the AccuWeather forecast all the time. Once again, thank you for joining us on Weather or Not. We'll see you next time. rainer or check.